Hi guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Aimed in towards Archer! That's a fabulous header! He's again the Jargons, banished the flick on. Gather round villains and welcome back to Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast created by underagaslitlamp.com and sponsored by Manscaped. The roller coaster at Villa Park gathered pace over the last few days and we'll be reflecting on the action on and off the field with special credit to Regan who last week predicted the whole thing almost as if he'd been for a ride in Doc Brown's DeLorean before the show. So we'll get into all that as we as we go along. But I'm your host Andy and it's it's a reasonably full house this week. We've been sc- scrapping around for guests over the last few weeks and suddenly everyone wants to come on which is uh interesting and i'm joined by craig and dan yes uh, yes 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 isn't it a beautiful time a beautiful day the 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 sun is shining the birds are singing the bees are doing the things that bees do and it's all beautiful <laughs> i mean what a week we've had liz truss gone Stephen gerrard gone and and i get to spend an hour of my time with you two gents it doesn't get much better than that yeah no it's that's that's very nice of you to say dan that's uh, excellent um but yeah you mentioned it Stephen gerrard um lost his job after a, a an awful night um in west london um i imagine a lot of people have said that over the years um a three nil um loss away from home at fulham was the final nail in the coffin and uh by all accounts, Nassif Sawiris and, uh, and and Christian Perslow, who were at the game but left left the uh, the stand at least far, uh, part way through the game, had had enough. And um, the news came around an hour after the the final whistle um, that that, that Gerard had had been relieved of his duties. Um, obviously, the game we'll come on to in a bit, but the 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 fan reaction during the game was was quite something of I don't think I've heard anything quite so so toxic towards the manager in a, in an awful awfully long time a number of years um it seems guys that we've been we've been discussing this and debating it um this potential sacking over the over the last few weeks at, since the Bournemouth game at the start of the season really um so how has it come to this so quickly after after his appointment only sort of 11 months ago and where did it go so wrong Craig? In a nutshell Steven Gerrard at this moment in time is a pretty poor football manager uh, perhaps the worst manager in the Premier League or certainly amongst the worst and he has been badly underachieving for his entire reign except for I would say the first six games where we had a real uh, a, a boost and then there was like a, a, a 4-0 win against Southampton, a 3-0 win away at Leeds, uh, both of those in springtime. Other than that, it's been either mediocre or terrible. Um, unfortunately for Gerard, he seemed to lack the basic 
self-awareness needed to adjust when needed or the pragmatism pragmatism might be a better way to phrase that to adjust and and, and put square pegs in square holes as we saw um at fulham it was really about as bad as anything we, we've seen certainly as bad as anything we saw under dean smith certainly even as bad as anything we saw more or less in the, the relegation season under messrs uh eric black and remy guard so it really reached its inevitable end lots of us saw it coming and it's not like we were particularly smart or clever in seeing it coming weeks or months ago it was pretty clear uh, from last season that he didn't really know what he was doing um, in the summer we all kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt we were waiting for that pre-season that he said he needed he you know Gerard said 14th isn't good enough for Aston Villa at the end of last season give me a pre-season and we come back to the Bournemouth game, which was worse than anything really that preceded it. And it's really just been a a, a fire, a wildfire from there that's that's just taken over. And the the, the wins against Southampton and Everton um, just really delayed the inevitable and kept him along in the job weeks longer than probably we, we, we needed him. Um, it goes down as a major failure for Steven Gerrard. It goes down as a major failure for Aston Villa. And neither party comes out of this relationship um, any better for it, which is which is sad for all, all concerned. Yeah, I think Craig's right. It's, I don't think Gerrard gets another job for a long, long time after this. I think he has been woeful as Aston Villa manager. He's, he's been a terrible appointment. And as Craig said, a lot of us predicted this, not because we're smart, but because Gerrard wasn't very smart it was a bad appointment it was a risky appointment to begin with and it's just been terrible I can't remember a villa manager as bad and we've had some duds in our time and I was trying to think of of the positives he might leave us with and taking the condiments out of Bodymore Heath is probably going to be his only enduring legacy it's you know the tactics were dire he hasn't really brought on a player or progressed them apart from maybe Ramsey the squad's worse off the relationship with the fans is worse he's alienated the players he's spent a lot of the board's money and the wage bill shut up it's just been a disaster and I think my overriding feeling whilst there was certainly some delight that he'd finally gone was just we've wasted a year and it's kind of tragic that we've wasted a year and and it's you know Craig says he he kind of went between the terrible and the mediocre I think he aspired to mediocre I'm not even sure we hit mediocre during his time at the club and it's just such a disappointing place to be a year down the line and and not just not just for a manager to lose his job and his staff to lose his job there's a human cost there but just as fans, as a club, to have wasted a year on this project that that really the people in charge who are smarter than all of us when it comes to running the football club should have known it wasn't going to work out. And the one thing I've got to say is fair play to the owners for acting as fast as they did. Apparently 20 minutes after the Fulham final whistle, they, they handed him his P45 and, and poor Gerard had to run the team bus back to, back to Birmingham, which I'm sure was a fun journey back from West London that night. But I mean, you knew it happened when when the fans were singing "You'll Never Work Again" to the the tune of that iconic Liverpool anthem, and and I think Andy, you're right. I'm not sure I've seen a toxic environment quite like that since someone lobbed a cabbage at Steve Bruce's head. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it did, I don't think it even got to those depths with with Steve Bruce. I'm trying to think. I think I think the the Alex McLeish one um, away at Norwich where they were actually singing Paul Lambert's Clarabla. <laughs> <laughs> 
um, that was certainly uh, you know an embarrassing one. But for a long time, I've I've not, and we've had some we've had some really bad managers, haven't we, in that time as well. Um, but the thing that sort of stuck with me is, um, I mean, I kind of. I don't know. I, I kind of kind of w- went along with things a little bit. I'm not. I'm not one for. I'm a bit of a moderate, I suppose. I'm not one for um, getting too too much after the manager. Certainly not early on. It's very rare that I really want a manager to go. Um, the thing that that's sticking in my mind is is the whole issue around McBeal and when McBeal left the club. A lot of people were saying, well, this is really bad for Steven Gerrard because McBeal is basically in charge of the team. And I remember thinking, well, that's not, that just doesn't ring true at all. I mean, Steven Gerrard is, you know, has been a, a, a top level footballer for, for, for 20 years. He's not, he's not, um, you know, he's not green. It's not like he's never played the game. He knows what he's doing and he, he he's the man. You know, setting all the all the patterns of play and the team formation and the tactics and everything, and you know the, the coaches just just deliver it on the training on the training pitch, and that was my my understanding. And lots of managers are like that: Harry Redknapp, Martin O'Neill, uh, Arsene Wenger, even Sir Alex Ferguson. All these guys have been of that ilk um, and had coaches that deliver what they want on in the training sessions. But it feels like it was it was actually more than that. It feels like actually we didn't change the assistant manager in the summer when Mick Bill left and Critchley came in. We changed we changed the manager essentially, and all Gerard was was this, the sort of face of the operation, which is incredible for a Premier League team to have that that kind of situation. They might as well have had me there, you know, and I could have employed some coaches to 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 to, to run the team. It's it's just. It just seems, um, you know, it just it just seems dreadful. And of course, you know, under those circumstances, if someone is that reliant on their coaches, they're not going to be able to turn it around, are they? Because they haven't got the they haven't got the um, the aptitude to do it. So he was never going to actually change things, really, because it, it, you know he wouldn't he wouldn't have known how to. He wouldn't have known sort of what to do. Um, that's the thing that really gets me, and uh, you know, and like you say, we have sort of spent a year, um, in fairness, buying into it. You know, we welcomed him, I think, pretty much with with open arms, even though some people were a little bit unsure, and there was the whole Liverpool connection. But we took him in. He started reasonably well. He brought in some good players. It seemed it seemed good, and we bought into this idea that after after he had his pre season and he had all the players and he'd got some some guys in early, which which happened, they backed him. Um, that we'd see you know a proper Steven Gerrard team, whatever that was going to be, and it's just been absolutely dreadful. Well, we did see the proper Steven Gerrard team, um, which is why he was fired. Obviously, the, the I've likened him on this show, Steven Gerrard, that is, and also on, um, oh, breaking news, gentlemen, Villa have now officially appointed Unai Emery as head coach. This is on the 
website here. Uh, Aston Villa is delighted to announce the appointment of Unai Emery as the club's new head coach. Unai joins from Villarreal, whom he led to Europa League success by beating Manchester United in the final. Two I won't read the whole thing. We have a new manager. Um, we'll, we'll talk <laughs> about Unai Emery in a minute. Andy's well-prepared notes. Does yeah. he know like, that Andy spent <laughs> ages on these notes and he's not until fourth in the running order and he just comes in, swans well, in... <laughs> <laughs> no, Andy's not going to be supporting him from the off here. Like that, that patience wears thin already. To, to, uh, he to is not, interestingly enough, he's not taking over until November first due to uh, work permit work permit formalities. Thank you, Brexit, <laughs> um, which means that Danks will be in charge for the Newcastle game. We'll, we'll get to Unai in, in in a minute, I'm sure, in yeah. detail. To, to, but just to, sorry, to coin a Gary Neville to, phrase, I'm I'm absolutely furious. To be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> To uh, to to just uh, eulogise the reign of Steven Gerrard, I likened him on this show and on Twitter to, to the Wizard of Oz. It was all a fraud, ultimately. He was a name, he was pomp and circumstance, he was a a vision, he was a, an, 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 an ab, 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 he was he was he was pretend, he was make believe, he was Scotch mist, he was a Loch Ness monster. Um, ultimately, there was nothing underneath. He was fur coat and no knickers, I think it's fair to say. And um, the problem was, when it came down to the brass tacks of, of managing a football team, he couldn't even do the basics right. We saw um, Danks come in and do some basics. And again, this was not rocket science. This was things, these were changes that pretty much all Villa fans that you'll hear on podcasts or Twitter were saying we should be trying with a double pivot. Everybody had been saying this for a long time and he refused to try it. Everyone was saying Ramsey and McGinn isn't working and he refused to try it. It was just maddening that he had this stubbornness, I guess, or was it fear? Was he just too stubborn or did he, was he scared of it being worse than it already was? I, I mean, I'm, I'm perplexed why he didn't try something different and try and save his ass, to be quite honest. I think gents. it was ego. I think it's Andy and I were saying before we started recording, you, you get this with top players. They come in, they kind of, they've never been told they're not good enough. They've never been told they don't have imposter syndrome like the rest of us. They've never had the reason to question their own abilities. So he comes in and he thinks his way's right. And, and we saw that in his post-match interviews. And I think that's it ultimately for me is... I'd have much rather had Andy in charge of Villa for the last year because at least the post-match interviews wouldn't have been him throwing every player under the bus. Like, sure, Freddie Gilbert would have got a rough ride, but everyone else probably <laughs> would have been all right. And it's it's a bizarre thing. I kind of he never once doubted his own ability, and I think that's why he's. That's why he failed. I think good managers tend to come from bad players. And you look at Graham Potter, for example, who's, who's earned his stripes, even a Dean Smith, even a, a, you know, Jurgen Klopp wasn't a great player, had to work his way up through the leagues. This is what happens. And I think you need to lose a lot and you need to, to struggle and, and, and kind of hit rock bottom and bounce up a couple of times to be a good manager. But but just on the Bill thing before we move on, I, I found it staggering that he was amongst the favourites to take over the job and felt the need to distance himself from it, given that even when he was supposedly the shadowy figure behind Stephen Gerrard, we were just as terrible then. And sure enough, he's taken QP out of the top of the league. But I mean, I wasn't in any hurry to have him back. We were awful with Bill there and awful without him there. Not, not much particularly changed there. I don't think there was anything in that. And when you see who they've actually appointed, you know, he would have been a long way down that list. So, you know, I think, I think, and I think he probably knew that really. 
Um, it was disappointing actually how he he kind of came out and um, and uh, you know was so so critical. Obviously, he he is going to be loyal to Gerard, isn't he, and and to the the guys he's worked with, which is fair enough. Um, I just didn't think it was his place to really do that, and he did kind of row back on it a little bit the day after, didn't he? Um, it's one of those where you know. I'll criticise my club, but you yeah. don't come in and start criticising. Yeah. It's uh, that's for us to do. Um, but yeah, it, it, this is it. And you mentioned the midfield. That, that that I think was the clincher for me. Sort of week after week this season, picking the same. I mean, it was Kamara initially, and then it was um, you know obviously Kamara got injured, so Dougie Louise sort of stepped into that 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 DM role and. But it was McGinn and Ramsey every week, and look, I love those guys. But then they weren't producing, and they weren't in a, they weren't, they're not, they weren't playing in a system that allowed them to produce what they, what they're capable of. Um, it's less about, you know, dropping players, and more about, you know, putting players in their correct positions, which we'll, we'll obviously go on to in a second. And Gerard didn't seem to want to do that. He wanted to play. His system and 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 shoehorn players in, um, in to do it, and you know you're all. I think you're always onto a loser with that, particularly at a club at our level. Um, I th- I, yeah, I think I just I just can't help but 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 again, it's 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 it, it is so maddening because you talk about the changes and 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 the midfield stuff. He changed around his, his back four. He changed around the strikers every week, but he would just... Exactly, yeah. Like, he tried everything else other than dropping Martinez. Why on earth didn't you have a shuffle with the midfield? Anyway, it, it doesn't matter. Ultimately now, um, I think that Gerard was, um, was, was obviously a disastrous appointment, um, an, an appointment which also now has put pressure on Christian Perslow, I believe, moving forward, and rightly so. And, um, and and the stuff that Beale had to say just in response to that, talking about the um, the 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 transfer policy not being aligned. Well, yeah, because we had a club ethos not that long ago of signing young hungry players with resale value, and all of a sudden Gerard has bought us a bunch of twenty nine year olds with on astronomical wages with little to no resale value so yeah i would suggest that that there was a disconnect in the recruitment and the fact that gerard was indulged he was actually allowed to sign nine different international players um it's it's almost comical from from beale but you know he's protecting his friend and saying those things but whatever i hope he has a nice time at qpr on the perslow front and i know this is jumping around a little bit he he is He's got a lot of can that he's got to carry for this. It's I wrote a while back that uh, that Gerard's signings will hamstring us for years, and they will. We're we're lumbered with his wages of players now for for a long time. But but let's not forget how expensive it's going to have been to sack Gerard and his army of back team staff. Like the fifteen million that that the owners put into the club recently has probably all been wiped out by these sackings. And and Perslow should be looking over his shoulder because he's cost the owners a lot of money and a lot of time. And and rightfully or wrongfully, Gerard is always going to have been his man. And I think if Gerard's gone, then I think Perslow's probably going to be not far behind, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I've you know, it's easy. I suppose it is easy to be critical of Perslow. I think whether he needs to go or whether he just needs to be told or 
agree to kind of take a, a step away from the the football side or certainly the first team football side of, of things um and certainly you know when you if you if you're bringing in a, a manager of the you know the quality of Unai Emery we don't need Christian Perslow getting involved other than negotiating player contracts that's that's all you need from him um he has undoubtedly um had a bit of a hand in you know in perhaps signing players um you know and that that's not a good thing but we're also we're also in a position where i feel like we we're, we're back in this kind of paddy paddy o'reilly tim sherwood situation where you've got Steven gerrard signings and johan langer signings um and this, it just feels all all very strange um that needs that's what needs to be lined up so it needs to be it needs to all go through you know the the two or three people i know when when dean smith was was there with with um suso uh you know they they worked very closely i think you know and there there would have been ones that suso brought to the table and ones that dean smith wanted but they probably lined up on it and agreed on on who they were going to get and it probably was more based on who they could actually get back in those those days so um yeah there are there are undoubted issues but i think perslow has look you know i'm i'm not his biggest fan but he's he has done an awful lot of of good um around the club we talked last week about it the the the, the immense kind of progress with the academy although the the teams aren't doing great but they're churning out players which is the function of the academy um obviously the villa women you know are, are unrecognizable to what they were when when perslow came in and um i think we are going to see over the next few years you know the club hopefully being reshaped and and visually looking at an awfully lot better as well and and the, the you know the the ground and everything like that um coming to fruition as well so there's a lot going on it's not easy i think to to just move on a ceo there's an awful you know it's an awful awful lot of untangling to do but he perhaps just needs to let the football people get on with the football side and and, and step back a little bit maybe yeah I think that's that's been a, a, a something that, that lots of people have, have have spoken about. I think that we can see that um, that after the sale of Jack Grealish, there was a little bit of a scattergun thing. Uh, but the interesting fact that we 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 learned this weekend, or I learned anyway, is that um, although Perslow has recently been much maligned for his these are the three players that are going to replace Jack Grealish interview. <laughs> That was apparently the first time that those three players have started a game together since they've been signed. Yeah. And actually, it's a game we smashed Brentford 4-0, uh, which we're going to talk about in a moment. So who, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe there'll be some uh, retracing of footsteps on that uh, on that person. Maybe Perslow had it right all along and we just didn't ever see them on the pitch together. Yeah, I think absolutely. <laughs> you could say that it's just eighteen months delayed, isn't it? Yeah. You know the the effects. You know, maybe he was sat there with a little wry smile on his face, thinking about that. You know, um, which would be would be fair enough. But um, I don't think we need to dwell on the the Fulham game too much. Um, it was terrible. <laughs> you know, it was it was it was awful. You know. Um, the best thing that came out of it was was Douglas Louise's red card was rescinded um, quite rightfully. I, I'm not sure how someone who's 
The best thing that came out of it was Steven Gerrard was sacked. (laughs) Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But sort of, yeah, yeah. But I'm not sure how someone who's five foot eight can headbutt someone who's sort of six foot four. I'm not sure how that works. But you know, it's um, you know, there's I don't see any uh, any retribution for the the officials or Mitrovic um, in that case. But at least we have. Douglas Louise available, and we, you know, we obviously played played against Brent, Brentford. The only, the only thing I wanted to ask is, I mean, a lot has been said about um, in the in the media, particularly about about Gerard, and obviously his mates are are kind of circling around him a little bit, and and you know, protecting him and suggesting that the players are obviously to blame. Uh, which is probably partly true. Certainly the Fulham game, it, it did feel like they'd probably had enough uh, collectively. Um, but is it at all concerning that they have this this very low level of performance in them, do you think, Craig? I would suggest that it is not too concerning because we're at a level where that kind of performance can happen. We can lose 3-0 to someone and we can beat someone 4-0. Um, the issue with Gerard was it was happening every week, that level of performance, even though the result, results weren't that bad. So there will be an occasion, I'm sure, under the new manager where we someone we go somewhere and lose 3-0 just because that's kind of where we are. We're a mid-table team. Well, we should be a mid-table team. We're currently <laughs> looking over our shoulders nervously. And mid-table teams can win 2-0, they can lose 3-0. They can win 4-0, they can lose 4-0. So it's not out of the ordinary. The problem is when it's so consistently bad for such a long period of time. Um, so as a one-off, it doesn't concern me. And also in terms of lots of the the, the, the media chatter around Gerard, that's absolutely to, to be expected. It's like Steve Bruce on steroids <laughs> uh, because Gerard is, is an actual... <laughs> football icon and Brucey I mean how many jobs does that man get despite being plainly awful um just fired again two weeks ago from West Brom for another one and and I'm sure that wasn't his fault either (laughs) but anyway the, the the key the key here is with with the likes of Gerard is that he does have some pretty major influential friends in the media of course they're going to come to his defense and whatever if I was if I was in the media and one of you lads had just really really defecated in the bed in a job, I would do my best to offer mitigation as well to defend my friends. It's fine. That's what people do. You look after your mates. People don't need to get so upset about it. But what I will say is, it's hogwash. (laughs) It's absolute nonsense. And, um, And Gerard, again, probably the worst manager in the league. Villa were probably the worst coached team in the league. Was it two wins in 24 games? Or sorry, four wins in 24 games? There's just, you can do as many tap dances, you can do, you can do a hula, you can do a belly dance, you can do salsa, the lambada, do what you want, pundits. There is no dressing it up. You can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I, I don't have much to say on it apart from, I don't think the players ever down tools for Gerard. To their credit, they weren't playing very well. They were still running for him. They were, even in the Fulham game before the, the second goal, at least, they, they were running. They were putting in a shift for him. Just looks like they were carrying around lead and weights with him the whole time. And I think the big difference between that and, and the weekend is they had smiles on their face. They looked free. They looked like footballers who weren't carrying a manager who was scared caving to them every five minutes and telling them they needed replacing and telling them they'd play narrow but push wide and sit in this Christmas tree but also play expansive and 
I just think they had too much going on from a manager who didn't really know what he was talking about. And and I think it, it shows up that quite a lot of pundits don't know what they're talking about. I was furious before the game uh, against Fulham because over here it was on, on Amazon and they were banging on that we were going to play a back three. And wasn't it bold of Gerard to play a back three because Edvary Gontz was playing? And I was screaming at the TV that he was going to play it right back. And yet these highly paid professionals were talking about how a back three was to battle Mitrovic and a last throw of the dice. And it's kind of symbolic of, I think, kind of the, the ex-pros and pundits don't always know what they think. And, and poor Dion Dublin should probably just go back to homes under the hammer though, rather than, than talking about that. But And, and again, oh. look at the quality of pundit that's saying that Gerard was the players left him. Jamie O'Hara is not well, the, the footballing the, genius that I think uh, TalkSport paints him to me. Talk, uh, uh, talk about the pot <laughs> calling the kettle black. He was an awful player for Dowling Tools. Yeah. Cost Wolves yeah. millions. He was he was about as committed to professionalism as his mate Gabby on uh, Talk Sports. These are, was it? I mean, Jamie Carragher probably won one day at football tonight. Danny Murphy. I mean, God, this is a it's a horrible gaggle of pundits coming to his aid. It's it's not exactly the kind of people you want lining up behind you, is it? And the, the the last thing I would say on the, the Jamie O'Hara and uh, D- I was going to say Dean Ambrose, that's a professional <laughs> wrestler, Darren Ambrose, uh, on the uh, on 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 the kind of uh, play, it's the players' fault thing. I think you could say that reasonably if there was an apples to apples comparison. Had Gerard played those personnel in those positions and received those kind of results that he was accumulating, then yeah, maybe you could say it's the players' downing tools. But the the simple truth is that. Gerard never played those players as we just spoke about. It's the first time those three attackers signed for almost £100 million uh, in the last 18 months ever started a game together. Gerard never played them together. He certainly never dropped McGinn and Ramsey before. So it's not like we have an apples to apples comparison. This was a different side with a different personnel and a different team shape. So, you know, just on a, on, on a data basis, it's, it's flawed. Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's it. And we'll we'll go on to talking about the Brentford game. But first, we're just going to have a break for some words from our sponsors, Manscaped. Aston Villa found themselves managerless this past weekend, but a lot of men don't find themselves hairless. There are, however, six million men worldwide who trust Manscaped for their below-the-belt grooming. Support for Gathering the Lamp is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the absolute dog's bollocks in below-the-waist grooming. We can give you an exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code GATHER at manscaped.com. If there's 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, if my math's correct, that's about 12 million balls. In the Performance Package 4.0, you can find the lawnmower trimmer, uh, the Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, as well as all the good, great, amazing things that can keep your balls clean and smelling great. There's even two free gifts in their performance package, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag, so you can bring all of your grooming essentials wherever you go. Take care of yourself with Manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code GATHER at checkout. That's 20% off with free chipping at manscaped.com and use the code GATHER. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Okay, welcome back to Gather Around the Lamp. And we're going to move on to happier things now. The start of a new era. Brentford at home, the perennial bogey team of Aston Villa ever since we... Uh, we Apparently we haven't beaten them since 1953 or something, but we've... 
we haven't really played them since then up until about uh, 2016 when we were relegated to the, the championship and um, obviously came up against Dean Smith's team and then Thomas Frank's team um, both in the championship and uh, and the Premier League and this was this was the first first time we've we've actually beaten them. But um, Aaron Danks was 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 put in charge of the team with Neil Cutler and, and Austin McPhee, um, sort of helping him out, I guess. Uh, on Saturday night, though, J- John Percy actually leaked the the team news, and I think it was the team news, like we said, that we've we've kind of been. Not say I'm ho- I was hoping for it, but the, the team news that we needed to hear that uh, John McGinn had been left out of the team and, and Aaron Ramsey also, um, for that matter. Um, D- Dendonka came into the midfield with with Louise in a in a four two three one formation with Buendia at number ten and and the front three of Bailey Watkins and Ings, who in fairness had had started to click a little bit um, in the the previous home game against Chelsea the week before, um, it felt like there was a, a collective sigh of relief. Everyone's shoulders kind of dropped, and um, as the news, the team news came out at one o'clock on on Sunday, um, it's what many fans had been asking for, and certainly you guys on here had certainly been been calling for this. Um, but what was Dan? What was your re- reaction to the team initially? Yeah, sigh of relief, as you say. I, I, I couldn't believe it that that someone had done the logical thing and put our places players in a position to succeed. There's a there's a great Shankly quote going around today, which is that football's a simple game complicated by idiots, and it it feels particularly true of this. Is is Danks didn't do anything revolutionary? He he looked at our players, put them in a system that got the best out of them, and and where they were all able to play in their natural position. The the double pivot gave us cover made us more physical and and let our front players just go and do their thing and it's not rocket science that's the baffling thing about it it's not like Danks came in and reinvented the side he said himself he he hadn't even done that much tactical work with the team because there wasn't much time hadn't focused on Brentford he just came in and did the simple thing put players in the positions they like to play and and lo, lo and behold he got the best out of them it's it was a fun game to watch in my household. I had some men picking up my oven, my old decrepit oven, and they must have wondered what was going on as I was repeatedly screaming and running around the house and, and screaming about double pivots to my wife, who probably had no clue what I was going on about. But it, it was brilliant, and it was so simple is what was so joyous about it. Is This wasn't some Guardiola-esque tactical masterclass. This was back-of-a-fag packet, simple tactical genius, and it's... I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it's it's fun seeing all of those players actually play like how we know they can play. I mean, Buendia was linking things up, didn't have his best game, but did what we know Buendia can do. Bailey was electric. Ings looked like he could score. And and by the way, special mention for Danny Ings for, for walking out onto the pitch wearing a pair of ear protectors to kind of solidarity with the, the mascot who was wearing them too, and... Yeah, it just felt like, it felt like a, a different Villa Park. There were smiles on faces. People were happy. It was bouncing in there by the looks of things too. And and all of that came from a simple team sheet because Aaron Danks arranged the players in a slightly different way. And it's it, it's amazing. I don't think if Jared had done that, he'd have saved his job. But things might have been a lot better for him and the club if he'd have done it. Yeah, it was, it was just a... Um, it was almost dreamland actually 
Um, it was early on Sunday morning and uh, uh, here in the US of A. So it was 9 a.m. I was bleary-eyed and drinking a cup of tea. And I couldn't really quite discern whether I was dreaming <laughs> <laughs> or watching Aston Villa because it was such a departure from from what we've seen that it was almost it was almost uncanny actually i don't think i can remember a such a startling change from one game to a next especially when those games were only 3 days apart like it is it was it was kind of a cataclysmic shift dare i say and i think my main takeaway from the game was to to echo daniel's sentiments there just the joy the players were playing with they were free to express themselves they were free to run and try things and when the things didn't come off you felt as though they weren't um scared that the the angry scouse man was going to scream things at them for not being as talented as he was and and even Danny Ings uh, for the for the for the for the Watkins goal <laughs> Watkins you know we we talk about Watkins and his finishing <laughs> <laughs> It took him a minute to, to, to score. What he did score is is the main thing. Just the Danny Ings link up play and and not and using again, Danny Ings is a great example because Danny Ings has been a disastrous signing for Aston Villa. But that isn't necessarily Danny Ings' fault. It's because he hasn't been used in the way that he needs to be used. Yesterday against Brentford, he was used in the way that he needs to be used. And that is not pumping crosses into him or smashing long balls into him like he's he's James Beattie or, or big Kevin Davis from the old Bolton team with with, with Nolan on the follow-up. He's not that kind of player. What he is as a finisher, he's on the end of chances. He makes good runs. He man managed to find space in the six-yard box for a goal. And uh, Bailey lays on a, a, a beautiful ball and, and, and there he is at near post. He knows where to be in those moments. So um it, it's it is really joyful but also a little bit maddening that we didn't see more of this sooner because we could have all all had a few less wrinkles and sleepless nights over this abject Steven Gerrard era do you think sometimes though you you need that almost you need that ability to kind of reset I mean that being at the ground being at Villa Park yesterday was um the best it's been for a long, long time. I mean, we've had we had one or two good, good, good days with Gerard, um, but it, it, you know, it was really, really good. It was really nice, really good atmosphere. And I think the thing with the team was when you saw them line up, it just looked natural, and you had a it's a, an old fashioned thing to say, and like the the the, the tactic tactics hipsters will be uh, be cr cringing a bit, but. You had a left-footed player on the left-hand side and a right-footed player on the right-hand side, and what it what it did was it opened the whole pitch out. Villa Park is is quite a big pitch um, in comparison. It, there's a lot of space, and I think sometimes when you play when we were playing that narrow, even with the overla overlapping fullbacks, um, we weren't using big big areas of the field. But if you put players in the right on the on the right side they i don't know you can still create you know you can still cut inside and do those things which like bailey did for for danny ing's goal he still you know he 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 made a diagonal run inside and crossed it 
but they have the option to use those those corners and those that, you know all the all all that space at the side of the pitch, um, and it just made us so much difference. It it, it meant that um, players like Louise and um, Buendia had more space. It it just really it was just so refreshing to watch, and I think you know we we get we get bogged down in in all these kind of um, um, sort of tactics these these new things that have, have have kind of come out I say new things over the last 20 years or so which have become the norm in the game which were were good ideas and you almost you never expect to see you know a left-footed player playing on the left wing anymore um but I think sometimes it it, it works and it and it certainly worked and Brentford were not ready for it that was the that was the the main thing they clearly weren't weren't prepared for sort of how expansive um, Villa were going to play in that game, and um, it was just uh, it, it was just great to see, especially against the back three playing those players on their natural side, spread some wide, and I think the word you used there was reset. It's like Dank's control deleted Villa Park. It's just there was something just all the bugs suddenly went and things started running smoothly again, and. We kind of, I agree with you, he simplified things, but it, it wasn't tactical naivety in this game. He wasn't just throwing players out there. We pressed like a really intense, well-oiled pressing machine, which after a couple of days is is quite an achievement to get right from there. And, and I thought some of our attacking build-up was really nice too. We were passing out from the back, which we haven't done for a few weeks either. So I, I think you're right, and he made it simple, but it wasn't... It wasn't like finger painting or something. There was there was some grown up kind of artwork going on there. He actually had an idea of what he was trying to do, but he put the players in a position where they had responsibility to do whatever they wanted to do as well. And it felt a lot to me. And and this will come as no surprise to lis- regular listeners. You know, I've got a little Dean Smith shrine set up in my home, but felt a lot like the seven two against Liverpool. We played that four two three one that was very similar in the way we played double pivot. We were direct. We pressed high and we looked like scoring every time we went forwards and and that's where that reset idea really comes back to me we did I think we did that's that where that reset idea comes back to me it's like the last <laughs> 11 months didn't happen we're still playing the same tactic and this is the first time we've been able to start Ings, Bailey and Buendia together it's like Gerard didn't happen we erased him in in one one afternoon at Villa Park which is quite an achievement for for Danks and Co and and they'll only have a couple of matches in charge now that Mr Emery's arriving but but they could go down in history as as two of the more important matches in in Villa Park's history I think yeah such um such a change such a turnaround and such and it and it and also it the the one thing I would say in terms of the, the narrative and in terms of the feeling in terms of the emotion and you spoke about being a fan in 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 the ground and about it feeling different that transmits without trying to get too um too too kind of hippy dippy over here those kind of good vibes in the stand and that kind of joy and re- relief and relaxation that radiates to the players on the pitch. Danny Ying's intimated as much in his interview. And likewise, when Villa Park gets very twitchy and nervy, it's also the same. We've spoken in detail about this this podcast about certain Aston Villa players. Uh, Andy uh, puts Matt Target in this in this in this uh, 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 column as someone who was so good 
during Project uh, Restart and when the games were being played behind closed doors because he was able to express himself without the pressure of that fan base. When Villa Park is anxious and worried as it has been in recent weeks under the Gerrard um, tenure, it is a very tough place to play. All the ex-pros say it, Micah Richards has spoken about it, Les Scott, Gabby speaks about it. Anyone who's played for Villa knows it can be a difficult place to play. But also on the flip side, when it is booming and banging and, and, and we're feeling good and we're feeling froggy as we were, then we get to bounce and Villa bounce. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we, we need to sort of talk about some of the players, obviously, um, you know, that some really good performances, some excellent performances, I thought. Um, first of all, I want, to, I want to talk about Leon Bailey, really. Um, scored the first goal after two minutes. Great finish, you know, not a bit... bit bit closer in but not dissimilar to his Man City goal um, really explosive start to the game and I thought I thought it set the tone um, but then obviously he, he set up um, Danny Ings goal he, he also took the corner where, that we won the penalty from and I just want to talk about that the run from uh, from Bailey which which led to Watkins goal once Watkins had decided he was going to score um, he it was the, the first thing that came into my mind was Tony Daly. It, 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 you know that that mm. pace and skill trickery right on the touchline. You know, played the one-two and 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 just left everyone for dead. And I thought that is pro- that's that's proper wing play. That's that's what in a way we've been missing because that's one of the beautiful things about football, which kind of has been taken out of the game. Um, in sort of the, the the newer era of the game, um, but it's so exciting to watch, and we've got a player there who is genuinely electric. We've we've not seen it really in any any great um, quantity since since that first goal against Everton, where he you know he came on for about three minutes and won us the game. He was he was at. He is he's genuinely talented, isn't he? This this is a this is a quality player that we've got if we can use him properly. And this was the player we thought we were getting. I remember us doing the podcast when we signed him and, and saying that the skill set is he's Jack Grealish level of ball control at a much higher pace. And we, we hadn't really seen that from him. But I went back and watched the goal a few more times today, the, the Watkins goal, just to watch that Bailey run. And he starts in his own 18-yard box pretty much. And I think he takes four players out the game, plays the one-two with Danny Ings, which takes another two out the game. And then they weren't catching him. And he made absolute mugs of a, a deep decent Brentford side just through sheer pace and, and you say Andy it's not Adama Traore or Gabby Ogunlo or head down pace don't really know what they're doing with it he was tight on the touchline the ball was stuck to his feet and if that's just a taste of what we can unlock in Leon Bailey we have got some player there and it's let's be honest it wasn't too long ago that the biggest clubs in Europe were after him and and I think he he was a coup at the time for Villa and we haven't used him right we've been criminal in that but if that's the player we've got, then good times are back at Villa Park. I'm, I'm the same as you, Andy. I love a winger. I used to love watching Ashley Young on the wing for us. It's, there's nothing quite like a, a tricky winger who kind of goes in and out, maybe beats a man repeatedly and then puts a ball in the box. And I'd happily watch that every week if if it's that entertaining. And and I'd say, actually, I'd, I'd not seen Leon Bailey do a post-match interview in 
God knows how long. And he was on Match of the Day too, doing the post-match interview and looked delighted with what he'd done. So he's another player that looks like the weight's been lifted from him because against Fulham, he was League One quality. He was terrible against Fulham. And to see that turnaround in two days (laughs) is spectacular. And yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing much, much more of it now. Well, I was getting, you were getting flashbacks to Tony Daly, Andy. I was getting flashbacks to Trezeguet flying out. Oh, no, I wasn't. Wait, that's, Trez, they didn't ever do that. Um, back post Trez was, was, had other skills, though. Um, yeah, uh, this is what we thought we were buying when we bought Leon Bailey. And again, it's the, the player we got a glimpse of, as, as, as you alluded to there, uh, Andy, in the Everton game way back in the Dean Smith era. Um, a season later and two managers later, um, hopefully now Leon Bailey is set up to be the player that we need him to be. Now, obviously, as a winger, wingers we know are inconsistent by nature. They're not. He's not necessarily going to do that every week. But the fact that he can do that means that other clubs looking at video, uh, uh, Villa video, if you like, um, will be wary of Leon Bailey. And if they're thinking of starting to double up on Leon Bailey, great, because guess what that does? That opens up more room for Ollie Watkins or or or, 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 or Emmy Buendia or Danny Ings or Philip Coutinho or whoever. So having someone like that in our team who can do some something like that that's so magical, that is something that Jack Grealish could do. That is a run that we saw Jack Grealish make a number of times. Um, and they rarely finished in goals though. I remember one against Leeds. You remember he took it like the whole length of the pitch, yeah. but then shot, there was a weak, weak shot at the end. So anyway, the fact that Leon Bailey can do that is really exciting and it all goes well for, for us moving forward. And also Leon Bailey, this is the first time he's had seven, eight, nine, ten 10 games, basically injury free. I know he missed the game a couple of weeks ago through, through in- injury, but he's been more or less fit for the longest period now as an Aston Villa player. And that also probably feeds into some of his struggles. Um, but yeah, it's it was really exciting from him. Really exciting from everyone. I, I loved it. Buendia as well. I, I, I think that he was his pressing and his tenacity to win the ball back high up was just incredible. And and, and Douglas Louise had a great game. A, a, mess, a, a, a shout out to Dendonka as well, who was absolutely brilliant. It was just all of a sudden now it starts to look a little bit exciting in the midfield area. We've been so frightened of it. And now with Dendonka and Louise really staking a claim with Tim Orugbunum pulling up flowers at, uh, at, at QPR. And um, also, obviously, we have Kamara to come back as well. It is beginning to get a little bit sexy in there, boys. On the subject of, sorry, on the subject of Buendia, which is something, to, uh, listener Andy and I regularly disagree over the Buendia Coutinho debate on our WhatsApp group. Um, I thought this game we finally saw what we brought Buendia for, too. It's, it's when he's got runners around him, he stitches the play together so nicely. And I think. Under Gerard, we were maybe expecting him to do everything on his own. But what we saw here is the benefit of having a midfielder who just joins things together. And I think having players, having pace around him and, and goal scorers around him is going to really bring the best out of him. Because I don't think he had his best game in a Villa shirt, but that was his first start of Villa Park this season. And I thought he, had, he really did a good job. He, he, he ran his little legs off. But more than that, he just linked everything up really nicely, stitched it together. And, and I think his stats at the end of the season won't show a ton of assists, but he creates the room for the likes of Watkins and Ings and 
and Bailey to perform him and and I think that we're finally going to see the best out of him and and yeah hat tip to Dendonka who was my man in the match I thought he yeah. was absolutely fantastic and what a unit of a man as well he's a glorious beast of a man <laughs> like just what we've been missing he makes makes McGinn look like the tiny man he is and it's, it was wonderful the <laughs> <laughs> sheer physical stature shots fired that it was great great to have Dendonka on and, and do a Dendonka thing yeah I'm, I'm Buendia Obviously, I mean, I just feel um, in the time he's been there, similar to Bailey, I just, I, I don't really see what everyone else is seeing. I, you know, I, I probably expect a little bit more for the, the 37 million that we forked out. But, you know, in fairness, absolutely, he, he was he was much more involved in, 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 in everything we, we kind of did in the final third on Sunday. And he's, he's certainly staked that, that claim now for the number ten shirt. I think, I think um, that's his position. I think central, without a doubt. Um, and if he can, you know, he's obviously got the two guys behind him, um, so he doesn't have to worry too much, too much about that. And he's got runners ahead of him. And I think, I think this is where, like you say, I'm kind of going to draw a line under what I've seen from Brendier so far, and and see what's coming, see what. He's obviously got another manager to impress now as well. Um, you know, I, I, I imagine that Emery will know more about Coutinho than he knows about Buendia. So, you know, this is something that might might rear its head again. But at the moment, he's got the shirt and um, Coutinho looked well short of confidence and, and any kind of uh, impetus really when he came on. He was trying. You can see it's there. He wants it, but he's, it's just not. it's just not clicking for him. Um, at the moment, and whether it will or not, we'll we'll wait and see. But the fact that we've got Buendia there, who is chomping at the bit and is, you know, looks in good form, um, certainly in that game. I thought, I thought, I, I don't, I don't think that the recent games he's played, he's, he's looked anywhere near it. But um, on on Sunday, he was he was definitely um, well in the game, and like you say, important. If he didn't get any any, any kind of you know, assists or, or anything, he was important in, in everything Villa were doing um, from an attacking perspective. So, step forward for him, I'd say. And you're 100% right that he's not given us the best in a Villa shirt. I don't think we've even got close to his best. And and I think we signed him as a, as a Ross Barkley upgrade. Ross Barkley played that 10 role really importantly for us. And, and, and all the noises are we signed Buendia to play alongside Grealish. So, um, I, I, the one thing that excites me is I think is if he gets the shirt and he feels loved he's an Emery type player he, Emery loves his players to, to battle and work hard but also be creative and I think he could really come to life now but I think the whole squad you're right there Andy I think we should draw a line under all of them it's a fresh start now it's an entirely new manager new era and I think everyone that was the refreshing thing about Saturday. Everyone had a chance to get in the team, not just McGinn and 10 others. It was everyone had a chance to, to get in the team on merit. And Andy will be probably most excited to see Freddie Gilbert have an opportunity <laughs> to stake his claim for the right back under Unai Emery. Maybe a new five-year deal is in the offing for, for Freddie Gilbert. Um, I, I would just say, for the, for, to make a point on Coutinho and, and McGinn, um, I have sympathy for both of them because I think that Gerard has really damaged both of them um, because he kept playing them and exposing them when they weren't in the right moment. 
And I think sometimes as a manager, you you have to protect players and Watkins for that matter as well. I think there was there were times where actually those players needed some protection. Coutinho, McGinn, Watkins in particular, all out of sorts, all out of form. And sometimes you need your manager to put an arm around the shoulder and say, hey, I'm not drop to, dropping you because I'm angry at you. I'm just going to give you a little rest, a little reset. Let's go back to basics, come out of the team for a couple of weeks and just have a breather. And he didn't do that. He he just hung them out to dry when 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 they weren't anywhere near their best. And McGinn, you can see even from his body language coming on the pitch, he was still a little bit unsure of himself. Coutinho the same. So Emery, who who we will get on to talking about <laughs> at some point in the next three hours, is 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 going to have a little bit of a rebuild job on some of these guys emotionally because I think there will be some some scars from from some some damage has been done in my opinion on on players like that who have been really just as i said i think hung out to dry a little bit when they just weren't in the best place in terms of form and 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 um psychology perhaps yeah i think the process has started i think the you know a game like that and a performance like that can only be a positive thing and and they obviously the, you know the squad feel um now that they're they're perhaps ready for the new challenge hopefully um you know they don't feel so under pressure. Hopefully, and obviously we'll talk about the the game coming up on Saturday, which is a big test. But let's talk about the new manager because it has just um, usually these things break just as we finish recording. But um, as Craig said earlier, you know it's been it's been announced that Unai Emery is going to be the new Aston Villa manager. Which um, this is a this is a big deal, isn't it? This is a big name. This this guy is. Has won won an awful lot in the game, hasn't he? Already, I think he's only forty nine. He's managed um, Sevilla, um, PSG, Arsenal, and he's just obviously going to be leaving uh, Villarreal, who he took to the the Champions League semi final last last season. Um, this is this is this is a big appointment, isn't it, Craig? This is this is really big. This is really big. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about it. Um, this is this is a serious serial winner. Um, this is someone who has won a lot of different uh, trophies. This is someone who has won the French League, four Euro- Europa Leagues, which is insane. Um, a two-time French Cup winner, two-time uh, 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 French League Cup winner. Got also to the Europa League final with Arsenal as well so it could have been it could have been five Europa Leagues but for a defeat there uh, his Villarreal team I believe beat Manchester United in 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 an Europa League final in the last couple of years and beat them soundly as well with a far in, inferior playing squad and he also took Villarreal to the latter stages of the Champions League just earlier this this calendar year in in, in 2022 so in terms of people we could could attract, in terms of the, the names floating around, the two calls, the Pox, the, the the Emery is is right in there, and the fact that we've been able to attract him. This is also someone who turned down Newcastle less than a year ago. Um, Newcastle wanted him, uh, Unai Emery, rather than Eddie Howe, and um, if if. Unai Emery can do anything like the job that he's done at Villarreal or, or, or we, we will be in for a, a treat at Aston Villa. Yeah, I mean, Sevilla, Villarreal, Aston Villa, it was written in the stars, wasn't yeah. it? That much Villa <laughs> in his career. But it's, I, I don't know, it's, Poch was obviously my favourite for the job. You can't not get excited about Poch. Emery's won more than Poch. Emery has taken bigger teams than Poch to, to further in competitions. I think it's 11 trophies he's got. 
He is a serial winner. The only slight blot on his his copybook is 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 the Arsenal tenure, but the Arsenal tenure wasn't that bad. He he came in after Wenger and inherited an absolutely dysfunctional squad. Got him to a Europa League final and, and missed out in the Champions League by a point. And and we've seen since his departure how long it's taken to get that club right again. So so this is a man with Premier League experience. Europa League experience, Champions League experience, and I've seen some Villa fans on Twitter disappointed. I mean, if we win the UEFA Cup next year, I'd be delighted. If we win the French Cup next year, I'd be delighted. I'd be surprised, but I'd be delighted. And he's such a good appointment. He's a big swinging appendage of a manager. He is a proper. <laughs> he is a wow. proper internationally renowned. Are you not going to link Manscaped in there? <laughs> we probably I know, should just... drop it in, shouldn't we? But he's he's a proper internationally renowned manager who is coming to Villa Park, and I think I'm incredibly excited. The other thing to not get all boring tactical geek, he fits us like a glove. He he. Plays plays 4-2-3-1 or 4-4-2 but with that double pivot and he plays the kind of counter-attacking high-energy football that Andy and I talk about in this pod quite regularly we like to see Villa play a counter-attacking brand I think we'll get that from Emery and I think if he can do what he's done with any of the clubs he's been to then this is the manager that's going to take us to the next level this is the man we should have hired when we sacked Dean Smith this is a proper manager to take you to the next level and I'm, I'm incredibly excited I also think he might be the best Scrabble score you could get from a Villa manager in recent history <laughs> so there's that too yeah that's, that's great I've, 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 I've no idea how to play swing Scrabble. the appendages <laughs> and Scrabble <laughs> Only on the Gather Around the Lamp I podcast, have a dear listeners. To his, uh, his appointment. Um. It's it's also really quick. Where else do you get this kind of football chat? <laughs> Nowhere. That's where. <laughs> Absolutely, it's, it's also a quick appointment, isn't it? You know, from from Thursday night to to Monday night. You know, we've had a game in between as well. They've they've gone out and done this obviously really quickly. Is this this doesn't feel like Perslow, does it? This feels like the owners. Do you think? Do you think this? This feels like Langer. Do you think? To me, this this feels like Langer. It feels like it feels like a spreadsheet appointment. Who has done the kind of job that we want to do? Who can take this club potentially into Europa League? Who could potentially win a, a cup competition with Aston Villa? It's that kind of what what are Aston Villa trying to do? We're trying to, we thought we'd established ourselves in mid-table. <laughs> Hopefully we kind of have uh, still. There's still plenty of time for that this season. And the idea is this season or next season to start creeping into the Europa Conference League or, or the Europa League, I, I guess would be the, the, the kind of short to mid-term goal for Aston Villa. So you're also hoping to have a good cup run. That's one thing Gerard kept banging the drum about, having a good cup run. So you would love, do you think, as an Aston Villa, if we could win a League Cup or an FA Cup, it would be incredible. So to have a manager who's almost like a cup specialist, to have a manager who has experience of making teams qualify for, for, for European competition and not only qualify, but excelling in European competition, this is the kind of manager that is is within that wheelhouse. And, and I actually, I messaged an Arsenal friend of mine, um, shout out to Johnny, an Arsenal fan. And um, he said that that Emery was actually unlucky to get the sack at Arsenal, that his, his, his time there was kind of misunderstood or misrepresented. Uh, he did say that uh, Emery is not good with big egos. 
So that that could be interesting. Uh, he said very unlucky for to to not finish in the Champions League places. One point off uh, qualifying for the Champions League uh, under Arsenal. Beat Valencia and Napoli at home and away, and um, and and again got to the Europa League final. And um, and basically, he was made out to be kind of this like figure of fun. There was some kind of xenophobic stuff with him being like Manuel from uh, uh, Faulty Towers, and it kind of got a little bit. Yeah, a little bit ugly there for for a minute with with certain sections of the of the fan base and certain certain sections of the media. But um, this this the the information that I have and the, what I know about him, and uh, what my Arsenal friend here Johnny is saying is that this is someone who is very very serious, very very credible, and is more. Other, <laughs> he's the reverse of Gerard. Gerard was all talk and no walk. This guy is little talk and all the walk. Yeah, I think he's a swing. You might even say he's a swinging <laughs> appendage of a manager. <laughs> I think it's. I think I get where Andy's coming from because this feels like an incredibly logical appointment. Uh, we've gone out and got the best man available. He's the most qualified candidate out there, really, and he's got a proven track record. and And I get the point about egos, but he managed at Paris Saint Germain, so he must have been able to handle egos there. And I think it's. I feel like if it was a Perslow appointment, it would all be smoke and mirrors. The criticism of Perslow is that he's been trying to bias to be a bigger club, to shortcut us into being a bigger club. Emery is not a sexy appointment. He's not the the fancy manager. I think uh, Amaron, the lad from, from Sporting, would have been that. That would have been the sexy look at us. We're getting the best young manager in Europe appointment. Emery is the smart appointment. He's the qualified, logical candidate who was available, who turned down Newcastle, let's not forget, because he didn't like the vision. And that says something about the man, too, that he's not afraid to say no to a job. So the fact that he's coming to Villa when, when his team's doing all right at the moment, too, it's not like he's leaving a team in crisis. So I, I think it's a fantastic appointment. It looks like the owners, he's ch- well cheap at $6 million. It's not a bad buyout clause for a manager these days. And I think he brings just a right level of of kind of... We always said that Dean Smith was too much arm round a manager and, and Gerard was too iron fist. I feel like this man might be the, the perfect combination, the, the iron fist inside the velvet glove, if you will. Yeah, I, I really like the, the fact as well that we are... We're getting an experienced manager, someone that, that perhaps doesn't feel like they have to um, necessarily prove themselves, although I'm sure he does, he does feel he's got something to prove in in the Premier League but um, I feel like some managers I think Dean Smith fell into this trap and Steven Gerrard certainly did of, of, of over talking you know telling telling us too much going to great pains to let everyone know what he's thinking is and what he's trying to do using all the cliches under the sun I, thought, I think they both fell into this trap um, and what I want is a manager who's a little bit more cryptic a little bit more you know Kind of along the 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 pep lines or the Jose lines, they you know they they say things but they don't really say anything you know and it's it's someone a bit cuter yeah that's yeah. it you know you don't have to lay out your game plan less, every less Tim every game. Sherwood more uh, <laughs> more Inspector Clouseau <laughs> maybe maybe but I think I think that 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 that's what I'm quite pleased about you know someone said to me today we don't have a great record with with um, with foreign managers that's got to change I think that's you know that's a cultural thing I think within the club that probably existed um, in the 90s we were one of the first English teams or the first English team to appoint a 
a um, a European manager when when uh, Joe Venglos came in, um, and you know that didn't work. That was terrible, and we never did it again until uh, oh goodness, when was it? Would it possibly even Remy Gard? I don't know. <laughs> Julio, maybe, Julio, yeah, Julio. Yeah, so we we don't have a we don't have a great record um, with that, but that has to change, and and there has to be a a cultural shift, and I think now. Um, I think this group will be will be right on board with him, and particularly if he if he does play or set up in a way that that um, I think I think until certainly he's, I think he's, you said he's starting on the first of November, um, so we'll have about three or four games only before the World Cup. So he's just I'll gone. be gone till November. <laughs> said I'll be gone. Sorry. So you'll have a few, have a few games to um, to to really kind of you know get a feel for things, but he's just got to keep it. He's got to keep this going, hasn't he, for a while at least, you know, to, to get some results. You imagine Danks, Cuts and, and McPhee keep their jobs because they were club appointments yeah. and, and you imagine they slot into the back room. I, I don't know if uh, if Emery brings a back room with him. You imagine he's got a trusted assistant. But, but what's nice is he's got that... We've almost got continuity there like ready to slot right in a coaching staff who are going to be managing the team and and you imagine there's a little whatsapp group being started between them right now so we can tell them how we want some setting up so it's going to be nice that we've got a new man coming in yet some continuity for him to build on as well yeah i'm just uh, i'm just imagining a, a, a semi-trailer truck there with a with a with, with a back room hoisted onto it driving into reversing into body heath emery's back room written on it beep well, I think I've just, interestingly, uh, I think I think Pickford's did bring uh, Gerard's coaching team down from uh, from Glasgow. They needed a big <laughs> a big container to <laughs> to bring that that lot down. I mean, uh, we didn't need I hope all it those wasn't Jordan Pickford. Anyway, uh, I've just 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 scrolling through a four four two article and which was published seven days ago of the fifty best managers in the world. Unai Emery, they have at, uh, at in twentieth place. Uh, Steven Gerrard, unfortunately, didn't make the list. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there you go. So uh, so so you know uh, we are we are hiring. If if he is indeed one of the top twenty managers in world football, then that's incredible because we are a team in what are we fifteenth place in the Premier League currently. Um, so we're not a top 20 in world football we are team. not a top 20 in world football football team but we want to be and the way that we're going to hopefully do that is is under the stewardship of, of Unai Emery there's also I've, I've read some stuff about his tactical approach and he is apparently a little bit more flexible Unai Emery Unai Emery also does apparently like to use a double pivot so we can see lots more of that um, it will be interesting to see what he thinks of the, the existing options. Obviously, we haven't seen a lot of marvelous Nakamba. We haven't seen a lot of, of Morgan Sasson. Uh, we also have Tim Urbunum. We also have Kamara to come back, Deng Donka, McGinn, Douglas Louise. So, um, all of those players can't play in those positions. And also, obviously, Unai Emery will have been uh, promised some money as well for transfers. So it'll be interesting to see what he thinks of, 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 of the players that we have and um, who is going to end up on the scrap heap. Dun, dun, Do you think dun. he'll bring condiments back to Bodymore Heath? You reckon he'll stroll in on November the 1st just squirting jumbo ketchups everywhere? Just kind of a <laughs> big fan fat lobbing bottles of barbecue sauce to Tyrone Mings on one side I'd say and, if he, and a, a tub of mayo to Ollie on the other. I'd say if he does that, we've probably chosen the wrong man. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's very exciting, very exciting. I'm just wondering, 
Um, we're just going to quickly uh, talk about about the game on on, on Saturday. Um, where's Where's Eddie Howe on that list? Um, they have Eddie Howe in. They have Potter is in eighth. Pep Guardiola is number one. Tuchel they have seventh. Uh, Nagelsmann they have ninth, and um, Diego Simeone they have tenth, which sounds a bit seems a bit low to me. Let me find Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe is above. I think Eddie Howe's thirteenth on the list because right. he's fourth in the Premier League, and he's he's. Uh his Newcastle team are very impressive, very impressive. Thirteenth yeah. um, is 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 Eddie Howe, and his his Newcastle team are incredibly impressive. They are. It was a glorious segue, by the way. Yeah, that was very nice. That was fantastic. Well, you're not meant to point it, it out, are you? But um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks anyway. Um, they've just coming off the back of a um, um, a win against Spurs, and obviously we travel up there. It's a long old journey up to Newcastle to. Um, to take take on uh, Eddie Howe's team on on Saturday at three o'clock, believe it or not, um, he's improved players, hasn't he? He's, he's obviously spent some money, he's brought some players in, but guys like Joe Linton, um, Almiron in particular are in are in absolutely blistering form. Um, Aaron Danks will still be in charge. Um, I'm not sure if there's any any new injury concerns, but what what would you do for this one? Craig, first of all, any changes or same thing? Keep well, going. I'd, if it were up to me, I'd win. <laughs> yeah, <that's> <laughs> um, <laughs> Where do you rank on the top 50 managers in the world, Craig, with that kind of insight? Yeah, um, what I would do is the only thing that you can really do, I think in, in an instance like that, you kind of have to pick an unchanged team. Um, I think that you want to try and ask ask Newcastle questions. We know Trippier is is one of their most important attacking outlets, ironically, talking about attacking fullbacks, uh, which means invariably there will be space left in behind. And that is exactly the kind of space, space if you will, that uh, uh, Mr. Bailey could be exploiting. Now you have a rejuvenated Newcastle side, Callum Wilson, Really quality Premier League striker. Only problem with him is his his fitness issues, but he's fit at the moment. Um, they've just gone to Tottenham and won, as we've 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 we've, we've discussed and discovered. So it's it's going to be a really tricky game. But I feel like if we can approach it with our tails up, as we should, and if we can try and get at them, they do concede goals here or there. Eddie Howe teams are known for having a a, a soft underbelly at times, and they can be got at, but. You're away from home at Newcastle who are flying in big, big form. So I think probably what you have to do, it sounds a little bit cliche and 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 formulaic, but you, you want to keep it tight for the first 25 minutes, half an hour. Uh, take the sting out of the crowd who are, who are a big, big uh, support up there. And then you want to start playing playing your football. But it is a really tough game for Danks, but I'd go same again. Yeah, I mean, I watched uh, the Newcastle-Tottenham game. They were incredibly impressive. And, and to be fair, Howe's done an impressive job. If it wasn't for the Saudi billions, I'd have a lot more respect for what's going on there. But I'd go the same again. The one difference I'd have is I'd swap Ollie and Bailey round. And, and the reason being that I think you need to shackle Kieran Trippier a little bit. And I think Ollie does that. And I think the weak spot in, in what is a very, from Newcastle backline is that left back slot whether they play Matty Target or uh, Dan Byrne 
it's the gap between centre back and left back is is where you can get them, and I think Leon Bailey cutting in there could get a lot of joy. So I'd like to see a switch it around like that. But Newcastle come at us; they're a front foot team, they're a really good team to watch. And I think the trick here is going to be sit deep, hit them on the counter, try and squeeze out a result. But yeah, I wouldn't change anything. How could you after that result of the weekend? Well, obviously I'd drop Buendia and bring Coutinho in. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> Gilbert right back. <laughs> no, no. I, th- I think you've got to keep it the same, haven't you? And I I, did, I would just, just focus on what we're doing and, 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 and see if we can, um, we can outplay them. You know, go toe-to-toe and, uh, and give them a game and be dangerous and when we get the opportunities got to be clinical like like we were on um on sunday and just give the away fans something to something to cheer about because they'll be in great force great great they'll be in force and they'll also be in great voice up in that um it's about three miles up isn't it that uh <laughs> that away section in in st james's park uh, you see photos i've never been up there but you see photos of it and you know they can barely see the the players on the pitch. I think it's uh, it's incredibly high up, but um, I don't think they'll see the big man Dundonka, but not not the little man McGinn, right, Daniel? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, you can see Amaron's eyebrows from up there, but that's about it. There's nothing else on the show. <laughs> By the way, I'm, I'm here for the Amaron Jack Grealish uh, comparisons. Spitefulness kind of is a lot of fun. Jack Grealish has really made a, a rod for his own. Back every every there, single but, yeah, sorry. Now every single podcast I've listened to, or every single bit of talk about Almiron that I've heard has mentioned Jack Grealish as well I, the thing is I've it always makes me laugh but I've no idea what he said so it's um, it's fine but I guess I guess it was something stupid if it was Jack Grealish yeah he, he basically like, he used him as an example as, as a bad player last year on, on the City kind of winning winning tour but it was a typical Jack two Stellas in his hand comment yeah. like it was one of those well Jack but... Grealish is still ripping it up I, I say um, goals and assists are us as far as Jack Jack Grealish is concerned. Well, he's he's. I think he's had more in, in more mentions in the uh, in in courthouse proceedings in the last couple of weeks than he has in <laughs> in in the back pages, which probably tells you all you need to know about his uh, lifestyle. Okay, I don't know about that either. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I try not to watch the news. <laughs> I mean, it's it's, it's all out there in the public do- domain. Feel free to have a, a quick Google. I'm not going to get into it here. It's. Uh, <laughs> mm. no. No, so it's, it's a it's Villa podcast. And interesting. He decided he wanted to be no longer part of it, so uh, that's um, that's up to him. No, great. I mean, loads to talk about. I think we finished there, and uh, you know, it's been it's been great to to have a positive podcast and to have the big news break in the middle of it as well, which was uh, which was lovely. And thanks for delivering that um, so eloquently, Craig, as it came through. Um, but yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining me. Thanks to everyone for listening. Um, obviously, we'll uh, we'll. Um, oh, we haven't done predictions. Quick prediction. Hard fought draw for me. An impressive hard fought draw. Draw. One one. Yep. One one. I'm going to go two nil Villa. <laughs> oh, <laughs> feeling old. confident all of okay. a sudden. But anyway, that's that. That's enough of uh, the the podcast. Um, 
obviously head over to our social channels to give us a follow on there at um, under a gaslit lamp and um, obviously under gaslitlamp.com um, for the website and obviously check out Manscaped and get your 20% off with free shipping with the code gather that's uh, 20% off with the code gather um, go and fill the basket and and use our code and get your get your products um, but we'll be back next week with with more Villa chat hopefully a win and um, probably to talk about the new reign again of uh, Unai Emery but thanks for listening stay safe and up the villa <laughs>